You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we have a very special episode. It is one whole episode with one expert, and that is my friend, Mark Anderson of Hub Residential. Mark is in to chat today, not only with our suburb spotlight on Netherlands, which we'll get to later, but first off, as a subject matter expert on the Western suburbs, a bit of a market analysis, I guess. Not too much on, I guess, a data perspective, but more of an on-the-ground, anecdotal, hitting-the-street sort of perspective with regards to what's happening in the community, how the new rezonings along Sterling Highway have been taken up in terms of the feedback, what's going on with regards to prices, how many people are getting into home opens, how COVID's hit, all those sort of things. Mark, thank you very much for coming in, mate. Yeah, hi, Trent. Uh, Thanks very much for having me. When we think about the western suburbs, we think about lots of local governments, probably too many local governments, some would say. Yeah, we think about lots of planning policies, but we also recognise it is Perth's most affluent area with fantastic river access, beach access, a very tight highway with some issues there on congestion, and obviously some of Perth's most beautiful houses, some of Australia's most beautiful houses. Yeah, Trent, there are, uh, I guess we are fortunate. We've got a river that fronts Long Crawley, Netherlands, Claremont, right all the way down really to North Fremantle. Uh, then we've got the ocean on the other side. So uh, yeah, some beautiful homes. Are there different cultures? Are there sort of different subcultures within the western suburbs culture, I guess? From an outsider, a Morley boy back in the day, I would look at that area, especially when I went to uh, university at UWA. You call it the Golden Triangle, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's called the GT. The yep. GT, right? Yeah. And, it, and for me personally, I would see it as a very insular place where most of the things, if you're a kid that grew up in the GT, you never really left it because all your friends were there in private school down the road. All the things you needed were at Claremont Quarter or you went to that beach just down the road <laughs> or the river. It, you didn't really need to leave it, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, not that I was brought up in the GT. I was brought up uh, in a place far different from the GT. But, you know, having my kids are now 23 and 20, so they've obviously grown up in the GT. And, yeah, it would be, it'd be fair to say that, you know, all the kids that they know uh, all live within that sort of area. So those subcultures, would you su- suggest that someone who decides to live in a Netherlands is different to someone who lives in a Dalkeith, who is different to someone who lives in Mosman Park or Cottesloe? Can you give us a little bit of representation? Imagine that you're someone from Sydney right now listening in and trying to understand the western suburbs. How will you characterise without being too stereotypical, uh, what the different offerings are, I guess, and what people are attracted to those areas. The thing is, is that every suburb has its own appeal. People who are, you know, Netherlands is seen as a, a very stable suburb. You know, we've got people which are business owners, professionals, uh, university uh, medicos, so that's you know they're the people which are typically living in that Netherlands area. They are drawn there because it's probably, as at a square meter rate, it's probably one of the cheapest uh, suburbs within the Golden Triangle, if you like, Western suburbs. And then if you look at uh, Delkeith, that is perhaps a little bit more aspirational. So uh, people know Delkeith as being a uh, you know one of the most expensive suburbs within the uh, within the state. And then you go to Claremont. Claremont's just a huge suburb. It goes uh, you know it's, it's massive. Um, but certainly there are parts of Claremont. Um, uh, one of the most attractive things about Claremont is that uh, when it was first uh, established, which would have been in the late 1800s, Nettons and Dalkeith were just really farmland at that point. And then you go a little bit further up the highway or down the highway, then you've got Peppermint Grove, and uh, which everybody knows, Cottesloe on the other side. Which t- Cottesloe used to be a suburb that was that attracted farmers. Now it's become one of the most aspirational uh, suburbs within uh, the Golden uh, Triangle. 
it's really shot through Cottesloe, hasn't it? In the last sort of 10 years, I feel like Cottesloe has been the bolter in the western suburbs. A lot of beautiful new homes being built, a bit of conjecture around skate parks and things like yeah, that. Yeah. What it demonstrates, though, is that they're... You know, if there's an issue about we need a skate park, there's also a, an upcoming youthful subculture or, or socio-demographic in the area too that hopefully can invest into that area because the one thing that you don't want is just one old socio-demographic in one area. You want variety. Look, I think, you know, Cottesloe is really interesting. It is. It has been a leader suburb for a long time. All the other suburbs uh, look to that one as a bit of a leader. It does offer uh, a couple of cultures within that culture of the suburb, and that is that it offers people which are downsizing from the larger blocks of Nettons and uh, Claremont and Peppermint Grove will be drawn to Cottesloe because it will give them lifestyle. And then you'll have the people which have always wanted to be in Cottesloe because they use the beach every day. Um, so you've got that culture where you're not going to be as stuffy, they're going to be a bit more lifestyle orientated. Now, if I can use a different analogue, for example, in the city of Melville, what we find, we had a great chat with Michael Jennings, I think it was at the start of the year, talking about how someone might first enter the area in maybe a Willoughby and then move into Melville and then move across to Adderdale and Bicton. And, and it will be that would be, I guess, the cycle of property ownership as they increase their salary and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. In the Western suburbs, do you have a similar pathway or do Absolutely. people generally seem to stick to their own suburb? No, they don't. Someone will probably start off in Mount Hawthorne. From there, where the blocks are, four, are roughly around 491 square metres and a bungalow, I'll sell there and either split off to Floriet or come over to uh, to Netherlands. They might go to Netherlands north of the highway, which is the cheaper side. And then from there, then they'll go to uh, Netherlands south of the highway, buy themselves a larger block. Kids will grow up, go to local schools. And then from there, those people will probably then move from Netherlands either back to the other side where it's a smaller block or back to Subi. Or if they've done well, they'll then move on to either Delkeith or they'll go to Cottesloe or Swanbourne. Either a city change or a sea change in that space. Yeah. When it comes to the last five years of property prices, uh, you know, the median property in Perth has dropped nearly 20%. I would say the average property in Perth has dropped more like 10 to 15%. But... What we can see is a characterization where most of the suburbs in the western suburbs have been more insulated by those drops. And there's obviously been some drops, there's been some holds as well. You look at, for example, not so much western suburbs, but at Wembley Downs, they've actually gone up every year mm. in the last five years because of the yep. demand and supply in that suburb. Now, my perspective on that is because you only lose when you sell. And the, the good thing about I guess the socioeconomics in that area is that people in the western suburbs generally aren't pressured to sell. They sell when they want to most of the time. Therefore, um, they haven't had you haven't seen that much downward pressure from sellers compared to buyers. Do you have any other perspectives on why that might be? Just generally that the the top suburbs in Perth, the more premium suburbs, are uh, I guess more insulated from more macro issues. Look, I hundred percent agree with you, Trent. What it is 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 it, what we're seeing at the moment. Even we are seeing that sellers, if they don't get the price they want then they'll sit on their hands and do nothing. So therefore, currently I think our median prices right across the Western suburbs have been maintained. And in some cases, if you're not looking at the first six months of uh, 2020, the Netherlands median prices increased from last year. Well, there's got to be some reasons for that, and that must be what happened a year ago in the rezoning. And we can talk about that in the suburb spotlight yeah. more yeah. specifically. Is that a conversation, therefore, that you have a lot, is you'll go and appraise a property and you'll just have a lot of sellers that go, well, look, I was open to selling, but I'm not going to sell it for that, and I don't need to. Really, about selling real estate is being able to match the buyer with the seller at the price that both parties are happy with. Recent transactions, I've been looking at it, and I've been going, well, back in 2007, 2008, if I fell asleep then and woke up today, we're about the same. 
there may be some left. I think that really what's happening, what we see in the Western suburbs, is that people are, for what I've just explained about that property ladder, they will either buy and sell because the house is getting big, is too big, the house is too small, I want to be closer to the schools, and uh, of course the other you know, uh, typical reason why people sell, and that is um, for uh, other circumstances. They're death or divorce. Yeah. yeah, death or divorce. We're certainly not getting too, too many from a, a travel point of view. However, we are starting to see a lot of people getting a lot of interaction online from people from overseas that are now starting to look back at Perth as going, well, okay, you know, I've had enough of living in England or Spain or other countries. I want to get back to Perth. With regards to the lifestyle in the western suburbs, could there be a few more, for example, Woolworths and shopping centres? You look at, the, at Canning Highway, for example, and they've just put in a, mm. a brand new Woolworths in, uh, in Mount Pleasant. They're, I guess they're gearing up for more density and for a bit more of a cosmopolitan lifestyle. One thing that I think we lack in the western suburbs, especially along Stirling Highway and even on Broadway, is a gentrified rejuvenated cosmopolitan lifestyle the money's certainly there if the cafes were there surely they would come well it's really really interesting because i uh, worked in the subacro and shenton park area for a long time the people that were buying in subacro and shenton park i would offer them netherlands as an as an alternative because it was cheaper and uh, they would uh, use the word deadlands and the reason why they said that is because the the cafe culture was uh, almost non-existent and I think that um, with the uh, newly zoned, you know, uh, stretch along Stirling Highway, the Netherlands Council looking at creating a, a, a Netherlands town centre with Woolworths and Aldi just up the road. This is what's going to bring people to the suburb and give people a reason to actually go there as opposed to uh, just drive straight past and go down to Claremont. Well, that's what happens a lot, isn't it? You can mm. you know, spend two minutes and you've, you've totally missed Netherlands. You've well, totally, you know, you go in the same point. If, if you're someone who lives in Dianella and you're heading to the yeah. beach and you go in a cot, uh, you could, you know, stream straight through four suburbs and, and yeah. wouldn't even, you wouldn't have never have driven in a suburban street in those suburbs. If you look at uh, the stretch from the city, as you drive out along Riverside Drive, you come across, you drive through Crawley without even realising it. Uh, you come to Netherlands and there's still no town centre. And so the first town centre that you get to is Claremont. Bayview Terrace. Bayview Terrace. And then the next one is Cottesloe. The Albion would be the landmark yeah, there. absolutely. So those two are your only town centres within the whole of the western suburbs. Don't you think that's a shame? Um, I don't think it's a shame. I think is, it, it's, is it engineered that way? I don't, I don't know whether it was engineered that way. I think that uh, that's, just, that's just the way it has been. I think that a change... Change is always good, but it also has to be uh, thought about so that it actually benefits the suburb. And I think Woolworths, which is, uh, or the Captain Stilling uh, ho- Hotel site, which is going to be redeveloped, and Aldi, I think that it's, uh, and also maybe a town square a bit further down, I think the sub- that suburb of Netherlands will certainly benefit. And I think, you know, other suburbs will benefit from it as well. When we think about uh, touching on those that development opportunity along the whole of Stirling Highway, the front runners really have been uh, applications and even developments that are going up uh, in you know Mosman Park, at Glide mm. Street around that area there, and also um, you know flagging uh, Blackburn purchasing the older Marna site on yep. Airlie Street in uh, is it Claremont, but it's really more Peppermint Grove, isn't it? No, it's right on the border. Yeah. So the next street is uh, McNeil, and that is the that is uh, Peppermint Grove. There's always been pushback, I think, for any big development. One thing I know about the way that Blackburn develops things is they really do try to create a community vibe. They do try to create a whole lot of uh, facilities and lifestyle that's their offering, right? Mm. Um, Do you think that once the dust settles and we see the proper plans that they'll start to be well-received? Because 
surely they're, they're much needed services. If you, if you are a downsize in the western suburbs, there's not many options for you. No. And look, downsizers don't all want apartments. So that's the, I think that's something which a lot of people uh, or developers may be missing is that, you know, if you talk to a lot of downsizers, they're talking about smaller blocks. Now, smaller blocks have been around 300, 350 square metres and, and up to maybe 500 square metres. They're looking to build or have a house on that size block. They don't want to give up completely their uh the access to gardens or having you know three cars or two cars and a boat you know so i think that what uh, blackburn is doing in claremont i think uh is certainly is needed it'll draw people into the suburb it won't only draw people from within the suburbs i can see the point of view of the people which are neighboring or at the rear which are on mcneil street because they've bought into a suburb because of the the, the large blocks the, the exclusivity exclusivity proximity beautiful streets, beautiful houses, then to be over, you know, maybe uh, overlooked into their backyard. I can understand how they must feel as well, as development is always going to be, there's always going to be two sides. Very and, much uh, so. Yeah. I guess the state government has a few things to say about that, though. I think we're in the first vintage now in many, many years or decades where it seems like there is a thumb that has been put down on the table by Minister Safiotti saying, I'm not really bothered by what you think over here. These <laughs> things are getting done because they need to be done. Get used to it. Well, you know, I think uh, the worst type of leader is one that doesn't lead. Mm. So a decision has to be made. I think consultation would help a leader, the right decision. And I'm sure that you're not going to have all parties agreeing. No, you uh, never will. That and the outcome is the right outcome. So, you know, uh, to make that decision, I take my hat off to anybody that makes a decision, but can also see that perhaps a little bit more consultation with people that are within the suburb talking about what they want. Of so, course, yeah. And because yeah. th- those are the people that have invested into the suburb and have done so not just financially, but yeah. with their lifestyle for, for decades, for generations, especially in the work. There's some very you know, long family histories in these suburbs. And yeah. you have to uh, respect that. On the same side, one thing that I was taught quite a while ago by an old boss of mine was if you want to get things done very slowly, start a committee. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there has to be a balance, I guess. Yeah. With regards to, I guess, the, that Western Suburbs, your forecast into the future, do you see any semblance between what's gone on in the last five or six years in, in those more premium suburbs in the eastern states and really the blue sky opportunities in terms of profitability really in, in buying into the Western Suburbs? If you think about these locations, these blocks, you compare them to the East Coast, you know, in some cases, they're a third of the price for the same lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I tend to think the population drives uh, the property prices. Mm. I can always remember selling a house in a part of the Netherlands when someone said to me, they said, um, you know, I think what you're asking here is like a Sydney price. And I said, well, where in Sydney can you be five minutes out of the city, eight minutes down to the beach and still be sub two million? The Western suburbs is really unique. When I look what's available at the moment, all, you know, our stock levels are very, very low. I then also then reflect upon how many people are coming through home opens, how many inquiries I'm getting online, and then I talk to people which have got businesses up in Caratha and, and up north. You know, I think West Australia is, and we, and we haven't seen any growth. So I think West Australia is probably a little bit different to um, our uh, neighbours on the East Coast. I think that we're poised for perhaps a, um, a better 2021 and 2022 than they are. You'd hope so. 
Mate, let's move on to the sp- suburb of Spotlight. We'll speak uh, specifically about Netherlands now. Yep. A suburb that I've you know, personally I- invested into, a suburb that I think is, in my opinion, undervalued for what it is. It's so convenient. Mm. Uh, you're, you're one or two traffic lights away from the city. Certainly and a f- one. Fantastic yeah. vista, right? If you live anywhere near the university, it's one traffic light and a, and a beautiful 10-minute drive along the river and you're in the city. Yeah. How many places in the world can you do that and be able to buy, I guess, at a price 30 40% cheaper than the suburb next to it, which is Dalkeith? Yeah, so that's I, pretty incredible, isn't it? I think, I, think, I think Netherlands is a great example of, a, of, of an opportunity for people in that price point to really take advantage, not only in a life, lifestyle perspective, but also with what we'll talk about soon enough from a development perspective too, because it's really been an untried and untested market there, given the fact it's only just been rezoned. Let's move back in a bit of time. Can you give us some fun facts, Mark? When Netherlands was really established as, a, as an allotment back in the day? When you think about uh, Netherlands, what interests me, as you get closer to the highway, as it used to be the Fremantle to Perth Road, you know, the quality of the houses tend to be a lot, great, a, a lot better. They're certainly a lot older. And then you know, it's hard to think that um, uh, the golf course, Delkeith and uh, parts of the river were perhaps the they're all where the uh, you know where the farmland was. So you know, to me, it was walking the around, yeah, that's right. It's the sticks. Was the cheaper part of the area. So I look at it now, and it's the opposite. The further away you are from the highway, the closer you are to the river, or places like golf courses, uh, the more expensive the square metre rate is. Explain to me uh, a little bit of that context on you know the lifestyle. I guess back you know 30, 40, 50 years ago, even Steve's was pumping. Only 15 years ago, Steve, you know the old Steve's was there, and back in the day. There was a tram line that ran straight through Broadway as well, wasn't there? That's right, yeah. You know, I, I was a, a regular at Steve's. Uh, it was a great hotel. So what's now the Esplanade uh, or uh, the uh, Multiplex development, that used to just be a car park. And uh, it was a great hotel. You uh, knew to go there on Thursday, Friday, probably miss Saturday and go there Sunday. Was it a younger suburb back then? I've got to say, Trent, I wasn't really actually paying much attention to the suburb. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just just a, a patron. I was just a blow-in to the Steve's area. <laughs> Um, but, you know, you know, obviously a lot of students, because UW Wave has been there for a long time. Um, but, you know, to me, uh, even back in those days, so we're talking in the, uh, in the 80s, for me, I thought, look, it just felt a very comfortable suburb to live in. When I started my career, I started in Subiaco and Shannon Park, and then I moved to Netherlands. And then uh, we bought a house in Netherlands, and you know, we, we, we bought there because it was uh, what I thought, and just to reiterate what you said, it's extremely good value at, at a per square metre rate. My kids went to school there. We've got surrounded by parks. We've got a golf course. We've got the river. You know, I'm a surfer and avid beach goer. It takes me eight minutes in the morning. Quite often take my kids when they were young into uh, into the city uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, a ten minute bus ride. Kings Park's just you know. across the road. Yeah, so it's look, it's got everything going for it. And then on top of that, we've got diversity. We have we've got small blocks, we've got mid sized blocks. That so we've got four hundred and fifty square metre blocks. We've got seven hundred square metre blocks, and then we've got a thousand square metre blocks. Well, let's let's focus on that for a second. Mm. Is a lot of people wouldn't recognise that Netherlands isn't just south of the highway. Yeah, that's right. There's also a Netherlands between uh, the highway and the railway. Yeah. North, is there a yeah. difference in culture, in price point, in socioeconomics? Absolutely. I, I Tell me about that. A lot of people won't own up to uh, living north of the highway. Um, I've always been north of the highway because um, that's, what it, that's what I could afford. But as it turns out, you know, for our lifestyle, it was beneficial being on the north side. And What's the difference? Well, there are differences. Why is there a difference in uh, value? The only thing that I can say is that if you were to... Uh, the quality of housing is similar, 
But I'd have to say that south of the highway, you've got uh, some reasonably prominent schools on that side. Primary schools? Uh, yeah, we got uh, Loretto and you've also got uh, Netherlands Primary, which is up either number one or two in the state currently. And then you've got uh, Christchurch. So, and then you've got the river, you've got the golf course, and you've got lots and lots of playing fields. So that is really the main difference. North of the highway, the benefits there is that you don't have to cross the highway to get to Claremont. You're closer to the railway line, which is very, getting uh, increasingly more important. Uh, you've got easy access down to Subiaco and Shetland Park. And the hospital, Kings right? Park, and, of course, the, the hospital. Surely there's a big uh, contingent of people living north enormous. of that, that uh, medico background. Yeah, enormous. I think when the hospital came in, I think they brought in something like 12,500 new workers when the children's hospital started. So you can imagine that it, that does have an impact, particularly if you're buying a house for, as an investment. You know that there's a very, very good chance you're going to get a doctor or someone who's at least, uh, or nurse, or someone who's just working at the hospitals. One thing I think might be rep- underrepresented from my perspective, and I might be missing the, the mark here, but I would have thought there would be a larger contingent of student accommodation facilities around in, in Netherlands, just generally around the Netherlands Crawley area, just given that our biggest university is right there as well. Is the issue is that the planning up to this point has been prohibitive or the price point has been prohibitive or people just prefer to live somewhere else somewhere else if they're a student if i was a student and i had more opportunity i probably would have been looking to live in a share house you know back in the day in netherlands it seems like yep. there's not that much opportunity um no look i think there's quite a few i mean i've uh, lived, i lived in a share house in netherlands and crawley i think that at the you know city of perth is also going through a change of uh, of zoning now that the city of perth just took over um, not just recently, but uh, in recent years, took over what, what, what used to be the Subiaco Council, which was a city side of Broadway. So that is uh, now the city of Perth. And the U- University of WA have also bought up lots of land there. So I wouldn't say that it'll happen immediately, but certainly in the near future, I think we'll st- start to see some more student accommodation. Can you characterise for us, if you can, a stereotypical buyer? right now for you in Netherlands and a stereotypical seller. What's the background? Are they old enough to have a family? Young family with two kids looking for a bigger block uh, coming from uh, Subiaco and Shenton Park area and they have somewhere between you know, uh, 1.5 and just over two to spend. They will uh, sell their property in Subiaco or Shenton Park for around about the 1.2 to 1.5. So that, uh, that jump is significant enough to make it worthwhile because you have the stamp duty always in every transaction. So you get the jump's got to be significant enough. Mm. So that's what they're looking for. They would prefer to buy something which is structurally all done, but happy to do some work internally. Well, that's a reality with a suburb like Netherlands. There's a lot yep. of good old properties with good bones, but a lot of the time the ones with value... The, the value is probably there because there, there needs to be a bit of a renovation as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely, because they're paying, what they're doing is they're paying predominantly land value and the accommodation uh, is there is a bit of a bonus. And, you know, what they realise, uh, the smart buyer realises that to actually get employer builder to get them on site to build those four or five new rooms is going to cost today's prices. So even if it's uh, built uh, 20 years ago, it's uh, far better value just to refit internally than actually add on. So, and the seller of that home is someone that is maybe 55 to 65. Their kids, uh, they're, from having three kids at home, they've now perhaps just got one. And even that one is going to be, may, may come back, may stay or may go. So now they're looking, okay, so uh, I've been working, I'm, a, um, I'm, a, I'm a, um, a business owner. Probably at the peak of their career. 
in, uh, the, in their 50s? In their peak. Yep. Uh, yeah, sure. But sort of starting to look at, to, at what's going to happen over the next decade for them. So they're start now they're sort of starting to go the opposite way. They're going, well, okay, so what can I what excuse me, what can I buy for two and a half? Those sellers are they don't necessarily need to have money in their back pocket, but they don't want to go into a, a big mortgage. I tell you what I purchased in Nedlands, it for me it was all about land value. It was about dollar per square meter rate. I was initially looking in North Perth, having lived around Hyde Park and thinking it's you know it's a great lifestyle, which it is that North Perth lifestyle, very cosmopolitan, lots of access to cool shops and cafes and, and very close to work in the city. Uh, but when I was looking at the areas in North Perth that I wanted to get into, uh, especially for a block that was you know at least 700 square meters, I was paying about 2,000 a square meter at least. Wow. And I started looking around going, well, where else can I buy for 2,000 a square meter? Then I found this suburb called Netherlands mm. where you know I could be very, very close to the river, very, very close to still in, with regards to driving minimal traffic lights to get into the city and for work every day. I wouldn't have to sit on you know, Sterling Highway waiting through four traffic lights. Yep. And I was paying less than 2,000 a square meter for a, probably a more substantial house as well and in an area where I thought it was very good value for what that was. And that's pretty much the reason I chose Netherlands over one of the more inner city suburbs is because um, where I thought that that price point should be more like two and a half, three thousand a square meter, it was actually less than mm. those suburbs. You know, uh, you know, I've been selling for twenty nine years, and Netherlands has always been known as the cheapest and best value. I guess I don't understand that. I feel like when things like that don't make sense to a hopefully a logical person, for me, that's why I've I've purchased in yeah. into that area. And one of the reasons I think that it's possibly overlooked by people is. As we referenced before at the start of the episode, that lack of coffee culture, cosmopolitan culture. But the timing of the rezoning, which we'll segue into now, I think is, is really perfect because the way that they've done it, obviously with a lot of pushback from local residents, is the way they've landed is that uh, it's the ca- it's the, the main arteries, Sterling Highway and Broadway mainly, that have been massively upzoned to at some point incentivize some real density along there, which will support and invigorate uh, the opportunity for ca- that cafe strip cosmopolitan culture. Yes, I mean, it'd be great to see that tram coming back along uh, Wouldn't Broadway. Wouldn't that be f- cool? Yeah, it'd be very cool, I think. I think it's, I mean, look, I, I, mean, I do think it's a, a fantastic opportunity to draw people, diversify the, the people that live in Netherlands even more, give people opportunities to live in uh, in such a suburb. You know, it does come at a cost, which, uh, which is always the downside, but it will certainly draw people into that suburb. Explain to me with a bit more detail for and for the for the listeners out today where has the rezoning been implemented and what could you be doing with that rezoning okay so uh, the zoning has been uh, implemented along broadway uh, hamden road Stirling highway all the way down to claremont and along waratah avenue basically goes to almost the first cross street which is edward on one side and um, on the other side it is bedford it's a very broad sort of uh, spectrum. The uh, first block back, I yeah, guess. Yep. it is, yep. And the higher zoning is um, is on right on the highway. It goes from, it wouldn't be right to say unlimited height, but certainly, you know, maybe 10 storeys down to R160, which is five, and then down to R60, which is three. So and what are they expecting to incentivize? What if, if we come back... 30 years from now, what do you think Stirling Highway and Broadway will look like? Broadway, I certainly do hope they have uh, some sort of light rail which goes there. Perhaps uh, a better traffic system uh, so uh, people aren't driving so fast down the street. People interacting with each other uh, so you know that takes uh, intelligent design when it comes to to, uh, developing. 
uh, a mixture of uses so that we have perhaps uh, a, just a crossover of restaurants, cafes, shops, offices. So we actually get like a, a real vibe uh, in that part of the suburb. Along the highway, well, you know, as I said to you uh, off air, is that uh, one of the greatest things that I see as I drive up and down the highways are all the trees. Hopefully they are either replaced or saved um, uh, so that we, the suburb still has that feel about it because it's still a gateway into something like uh, the western suburbs. I hope to see downsizers living their dream and that is finding smaller blocks to live on, not necessarily townhouses, not necessarily apartments. I think that's really what I hope to see. More specifically for me, what I think we'll see is some level of, of you know, five to ten storey apartment buildings along Stirling Highway, some coffee shops, a couple of actual you know, grocery stores like your Woolworths and Aldi, and then down to that first block, a lot of townhouses, nearly all townhouses, all the old mm. houses would have been taken away by that point, a couple of more three or four storey apartment buildings where a couple of blocks have been amalgamated. Uh, and on Broadway, I hope we see... Uh, yeah, some you know, six, seven-storey apartment buildings with cafes and hairdressers and things like that on the bottom. Broadway, definitely, as you said, the, the street itself restructured to not be a, you know, a rally car chicane uh, mm. street where those... I mean, I, not I mean, that you would drive like that. Well, though, I certainly no. did when I was about 20. <laughs> I remember being at uni, whipping around there. There's about those, four or five chicanes. <laughs> yeah, honestly, they're, they're quite yeah. fun. But yeah, that needs to be restructured in, in, and certainly uh, you could see you know, if there's enough people around there, that, that road, for example, being paved and turned into more of a you know, pedestrian first sort of street. Yeah, that's it. Look, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I agree with that, and I think that um, you know, uh, look, I don't have uh, any influence uh, or very little influence, but I'd like to see if they're going to allow uh, redevelopment of those blocks. I think that I would love to be able to see uh, or make it a, a part of that redevelopment that they give back to the street so that they can create, I don't know, just a, a, a streetscape rather than just develop seven stories, as you said, um, and leave the street as it is. I just don't. I, th- I think that's only one side of the uh, development. And finally, I think basement on Broadway is demolished and replaced with something that isn't as crusty and, and Which, old. So you're talking about Broadway Fair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, that place a, has had no love for decades. Wow. Ouch. Um, look, I think that um, you know you, you should go there uh, at your, on the uh, university days. It um, it's re- it really pumps full of students. It, it, look, it's quite different you certainly don't want a suburb which looks the same so and i guess when i look at uh, places like you know the western suburbs i think that that is one of the benefits is that it's a little bit more eclectic it's you might have an old house which is a uh, hundred years old and then you might have a new house which is only five years old you might have broadway fair but you might have something which is you know architecturally right at the at the edge i think that's important so i don't think and i think that's what makes one of the differences of living in the western suburbs for me is that you have this eclectic sort of mix of these old and new and the common trait is you've got so many trees it's so, a very green area. Yeah. It's very, that's yeah. very true. And I think with um, the vogue of planning policies these days, which are much more green first, much mm. more trees first, I think we'll see, uh, luckily, a lot throughout the development that's going to happen through you know, the pockets of Netherlands, especially that have been re- rezoned, you'll see a lot more tree protection as a part of the, the thought process for developers. Mm. And, and I think that's a good thing because mm. one of the issues, one of the downfalls and negatives of some of the councils, more like Stirling, for example, that went gung-ho over the last 30 years is there isn't a tree in sight. Yeah, that's a uh, real shame. And it's, mm. a, it, well, it's, a, it's a real issue. It, properties are a lot less valuable when you're boiling in 40 degrees out on the street looking at them. 
Yeah, they certainly are. And I think that um, being at home opens or showing people through at private inspections and the birds are, are in the trees making their noise. I think that's, you know, I often say, just hold for a second. We'll just stop and just listen. And they always accuse me of having the birds, uh, bird noise playing somewhere, but uh, no, they're real birds. <laughs> yeah, the loudspeakers going. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I just wanted, you know, just to talk a bit further on the rezoning. It has caused a lot of upset for a lot of people, and I think that is that is a real shame that that's happened. I'm sure if the Netherlands Council had their run at it again, they perhaps may have looked at it or may have done things differently. I think there there are people which have uh, potentially had their properties devalued, they've had their lives changed completely and uh, this is always, uh, I think I think that is sad that that's happened for some people. On the flip side, what I've noticed is those properties that are one block within Sterling Highway, those properties have all gone up three, four, five hundred thousand dollars dollars $500,000. They have, you're some right. Some more. Yeah. And those properties weren't very nice, a lot of them, some were, but, and they, they've gone up, but the ones that were land value have you know gone up nearly a million dollars for, for no reason other than the rezoning in the space of a year. Absolutely, 100%. Their winners. Which is great because, you know, and what's happened there is that the people would only, the, the when people would come to me and they'd say, hey, listen, you know, we're, uh, we're looking for a house in Netherlands. And I'd say, how much do you have? And they'd say, look, you know, just over one or 1.2, 1.1. And I said, well, you can go south, you can go north of the highway. No, 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 we don't want to do north of the highway. It must be south of the highway. They were typically buying that first block, mm. so uh, which is bordered by Jenkins, well, Ebbard and Jenkins. Yeah. Um, so they were, they were buying the cheapest of the cheap south of the highway, which was important to them. South of the highway ad- address was important to them. Now they're um, the most expensive properties in Netherlands. Well, what they are is that where they would would have been worth maybe one two or one three. Now they're selling for uh, you know one six, one eight, and two. So they have definitely had a win. Mm, they've done well. Last question, Mark. Yep. Mark Anderson, what is the median house price in Netherlands and what would you do with it if I gave that to you in your back pocket today? Okay, so the median price, let's say the median price last year for uh, 2019 was just over one six. The median price currently as it stands uh, for houses we're talking about in uh, Netherlands is uh, up in the one sevens. So we've seen growth? Absolutely. First half of the year, that was, that's what we were seeing. Yep. And so what will you be doing with one sevens? I would be buying myself a land value property close as close to the uh, in the Melvista Ward as I could. The Melvista Ward. Yeah. Why is, is that? Well, the Melvista Ward is quite a special part of Netherlands. Um, it's much. Give us a bit more detail. What is? Okay. The, give us some bounds. Okay. So Melvista Ward is um, you've got Princess Road on the northern side, and you've got Melvista Avenue on the southern side. And up, the river on. And and the river is also on the southern side. Yep. So that ward there is it. What it does is it, it places you uh, close to um, all the ovals, the golf course, and you know, the golf course really is p- a part of Netherlands, which is, from my point of view, uh, is equally as attractive as the river. So what streets so, are we talking about? There? That's so, a very specific. Okay, so we're, t- we're talking about really from Archdeacon Street. Well, we're talking Hillway, but we're talking the part that I'm talking about is uh, from Bruce Street, Archdeacon, Tyrrell, Webster. Uh, Thomas Webster, Stanley, Florence, all the way up to College Park. So the university side of Netherlands on the south side. Yeah, that's where I'll be spending my money because you know those blocks. You know we talk about the blocks with the the development sites are growing in value because of what they offer. You'd have to think that the blocks which are the furthest away from development will also see growth because of what they don't have. Yeah, because you can't be developed. So they're at both ends of the spectrum. 
That's a very uh, considered thought process there, Mark. Mm. And I think obviously you've thought very much about how this, this rezoning is going to affect houses both up and down in this suburb. Absolutely. And, you know, that, I mean, that's what I think. And I certainly don't think it's a negative that we have those the, the blocks uh, close to the highway being uh, redeveloped. In fact, you know, I see that as also... Um, if I had an extra one and a half million dollars, I'd be buying one of those as well. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much for coming in, mate. It's, Thanks, Trent. It's a fantastic uh, episode, I think, where we've got some holistic views both on what's, what's going on, what life's like in the western suburbs uh, for homeowners, especially those looking to buy in, uh, and also more specifically your suburb, Nedlands. Thank you very much, mate, and we'll have you in again soon. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!